Hi, everyone. As we enter 1988 and approach our third year of podcasting, we're rolling out our new logo. I'm really excited about it, and if you see the old logo anywhere else, please let me know, and I'll try to get it fixed. Also, keep an eye out for some new collection episodes coming out on Fridays that my past self is completely unaware of. Ha <laughs> ha, you past fool. Also, I'm taking part in our podcast pals. Everything comes back to 2000 AD's October art event, Drocktober. Follow the link in the show notes for more info and watch our social media and the Drocktober hashtag with two Ks for updates and art by myself and far, far superior artists. And now let's get to the show. Borak Dog Earthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox. We have the 176th episode of Space Spinner 2000 podcast, where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for January 1988, progs 555 to 558. This time, Choppers in Oz. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Torquemada has a fly problem. Bad company oh. is headed to the heart of the matter. And the ABC Warriors are back. Spread the word. Yeah, those flies are no good, buddy. Oh, my God. <laughs> the whole situation was no good. It's true. <laughs> Yeah, and if you were to read along with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files 11, ABC Warriors, The Mech Files 1, Nemesis, The Warlock, Books 2 and 3, The Complete Bad Company, and Zenith, Phase 2. Ooh, man. Very excited, yeah. So much good stuff coming at us in January 1988, man. We're really That's starting right. this month strong, or this year yeah. strong. Definitely, yeah. New Year, new us, Fox, for sure. It's beautiful. Um, and to that end, it's something I've been meaning to say, but I've been forgetting to this whole time. But there's something new about you, fan- fabulous uh, co-host, Fox. What? Fox, newly married man. Oh, that's Shocking. Right. I know. Put away uh, put away your hope, ladies. <laughs> this man's on luck. Yeah, they finally made... Fox has finally been made an honest man of. From... From recording this podcast to sleeping on a on a mattress on the ground to flying across the world to uh, finding my wife, it's been a weird journey. <laughs> Absolutely, I feel like it's been been a real crucible time for for, for you over these last uh, almost three years for sure. For all of us, buddy, this yeah. has been uh, it's been a good ride. Glad that uh, glad that I got to you know. Share this with the community. Love you guys. Love this podcast. You know, yeah, absolutely. If, if 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 everything's worked out because we're taping this ahead of me actually doing it, um, then the spinnies will feature not only spinny nominations but also people uh, wishing you a happy marriage and stuff Aww. like that, which should be pretty good. Anyway, oh, sweet of you, man. <laughs> yeah, do my best. So uh, before we get started into the thrills here, Fox, also. Besides congratulations, um, I want to talk a little bit about the state of play in 2000 AD for 1988. Um, at this point, Richard Burton and Al McKenzie have been editor and sub-editor for a while. And while longtime editor Steve McManus is back, he's, or uh, almost back, I guess he'll be, he'll be back during 88, but he's going to be mostly focused on getting the slightly more grown-up anthology comic Crisis to print. Um, so 
and, and, and that'll have its first issue in September of this year, so we'll talk more about it then, basically. Okay. But he's, he's, he's crisis-focused, most part. Okay. Um, things to look for as we enter 88 are a proliferation of new thrills, new writers, and new artists, as well as some minor writers becoming much more involved in big storylines about the comic. We'll see guys like uh, John Smith and Simon Geller do way more this year than they have. Um, Whoa. A, a lot of this is just generally a, a youth movement to combat the fact that more established writers and authors in 2000 AD are starting to want more money for, uh, for their work. Okay. As well as like ownership of, of new characters they'd create. Like I, I, I think at this point, uh, Pat Mills has said that he'll never create a new, t- a new character for 2000 AD. Although he Damn. Change, change that stance later on. But like there's a, for instance, uh, we, we've talked about this a little bit, but like Pat Mills and uh, Kev O'Neill are, as we're covering this year in 88, working on this comic martial law in America. Ah, uh, yeah. Big, um, like kind of, uh, dude that's that that uh, hunt superheroes or whatever um and is cool and could definitely have been a probably have been a 2000 ad character but they're like no we aren't taking this stuff over here we're trying to actually make some money doing this you know as opposed to younger uh, uh creators that are perhaps more willing to accept um harder working environments it's it's, it's, right. it's the classic story of this kind of thing you know what i yeah. mean a, a little um, bit sleazy but also you know a little bit business i guess I mean, you know, sleaziness and and, and businessiness, you know, not the not not two circles when you get that Venn diagram. There's a fair <laughs> amount of overlap, is what I'm trying to say. Um, it's pretty fair. Yeah, so I think just kind of keep an eye out for that stuff as we see things. Um, I think one other thing is that I think there's a worry in like either within the uh, 2080s editorial or in a fleetway management that 2080 might be coming a bit old fashioned or not hip, cool and appealing to older readers. Okay. I've seen this borne out at least anecdotally. I've had a lot of prog. I've seen a lot of prog oneers sort of mention, but like people who are current 2080 fans and were out with the beginning, but we're entering the era where a lot of people are reading their last progs or getting to the point where they're like, ah, like this is where I sort of unplugged for a couple years and maybe got back in later or something like that. Interesting. Um, so we're going to see some changes this year that are clearly an attempt to fix that and maybe try to update things within the prog, uh, for better or for worse. There's <laughs> also one really big change coming to the comic in late spring, but I'm keeping that a secret from you right now, Fox. It's kind of a spoiler. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And speaking of things that have not spoiled just yet, Fox. Ooh. Wait. Is it, is it going to spoil? That's got I me mean, worried. I think, well, I mean, the Cruel Heart's probably gonna, probably in the middle of spoiling ah, as we're learning, right? Yeah, like, there we go. Little overripe, that's why they need a replacement, because <laughs> it's through one bad company. Man, oh man, I um, loved this. Loved it so much. Also, Kano, uh, Kano as a scarecrow is great. Yeah, he's real crazy. Uh, script by Peter Milligan, art by Brett Ewens and, and Jim McCarthy, letting robot Tom Frame. Oh, so, man. It's time to kill this guy and also make a giant spectacle of it. That's right. Santa Santa it up, buddy. Yeah, that that was weird, right? That was weird? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so we're catching up with former bad company leader Kano. After killing a bunch of of evil, alien, cruel, and then human settlers, he and his weird pixie fairy friend um, have been captured by a... What? I, I thought that she was just a figment. 
which very clearly she turns out not to be. No, she's real, but I don't know anything more than that. She doesn't seem to have a lot of backstory or what's going on with this. I think it was like, I had a, um, my guess is that Kano's been to a bunch of different planets. Yeah. And this might have been like an alien that he picked up on sure. one of them along the way or something like that. Not a lot of backstory to it, at least at this point. I forget if we ever do anything, Little weird. anything about it. Little weird, but, but yeah. fine. Yeah. So he's been captured by a human mob. They got pitchforks. He's now tied up and semi-crucified as the leader of the uh, settlers pronounces fate. Kano must be sacrificed to the Earth spirit as a present to the spirit and uh. thus dons a Santa costume with a giant scythe. It's just such a weird thing and like... Yeah. Mixing, I don't, it, it was just like a weird mix of shit that's going on. I like it a lot, though, actually, just because it feels like this, like a kind of uh, like neo primitive oh, or like sure. ev- evolution of, um, you know, Western society into kind of a post apocalyptic setting or something. Oh, like sure. That. It's whatever you can remember from whatever other people told you, right? Exactly. It's, it's got a very Mad Max kind of feel to it, mm. where there's certain things that have like cultural weight for these barbarians because of something, it's something their ancestors did, did but they, they don't really remember yeah. it. Yeah, and the before Precisely. times. And the long, yeah, long yeah. ago. Exactly. Beyond Thunderdome, son of a bitch. Anyway. Hey, man, that's, uh, that movie was fantastic. It has its moments. Um, <laughs> Kano tries to stop this murder Santa, but it's no good. Instead, he grabs the fairy and breaks her over his knee. Yeah, the, like, what the fuck? One of the many terrible but mercifully off-screen murders of this episode of Space Spinner 2000. Yeah. I think almost I think almost every thrill has one, or at least two out of five do. <laughs> it's uh it gets rough, especially with yeah. the chainsaw. Definitely. Kano's not pleased by all this, and once the uh, townsfolk make make the requisite mentions of uh he can't break free, nobody's that strong. Well, Kano breaks free Hercules the, style. Yeah, they're yeah. like, oh, he's chained to the wall, and I'm like, man. That's... Yeah, so like because he's chained to the wall, when he breaks free, it means that he does it in like an explosion of like bricks and like uh, mortar and stuff like that. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> so in a in a Kool Aid Man like rage, you would say. Oh, oh, yeah, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah, he's broken free. Meanwhile, Danny Franks contemplates meeting his old commander as Kano mourns his dead friend and then gets to kill him. It's sure. Yeah, he's killed a few humans with his bare hands, including ripping out somebody's heart, maybe? He's got kind of a I, kind of a, I, a flesh lump in his hand. I, it might I be feel, a kidney. I feel like it's just a stone that he's used to just, like, oh. bash people to death. That's what That's I felt. Fair. That's what I got That's from super it. super fair. Yeah. Um, anyhow, a voice, as he's attacking, he a voice rings out to stop his rampage. It's Daddy Franks! Oh, my God. He's just there, and he's like, yeah, okay. He seems really chilled out that Kano smashed the brains out of these people. Yeah. It's a little weird. The regular humans flee as Bad Company 2 confronts Kano. They know he's the monster they've been hunting, but Danny decides to forsake that job, and instead, Kano is back in control of the Bad Company. Oof. Oof. Though, though at this point, Kano's way too busy mourning his fairy friend to actually be in control of anything. Yeah. 
Shiva offers to massage his temples, and it seems that maybe her emotional link may have shifted, which Mac is quick to uh, dunk on Danny about. I mean, um, I feel like maybe she's just trying to be nice, you know, because this dude looks like he's in some real fucking pain over his fairy friend. Yeah, it I mean, is the problem we get, with jealousy, for sure. It doesn't why we gotta go straight innocently. there with, like, the only woman who's on the team kind of thing? Seriously, she can't date everybody. Yeah. Um, so, so Shiva offers... Oh, sorry, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Kano sits motionless as Danny broods. Suddenly, Shiva comes up to him and apologizes, and they kiss, but she turns into the protoid. Oh, jeez. God, this protoid's <laughs> a real dick. Yeah, but counterpoint, I think he's also kind of following along with us, making our point that, like, hey, like, maybe, you know, don't um, don't try to start a, a relationship with everybody you work with, because that just ends yeah. in, uh, in difficult... Um, Jeez. So they fight and then, uh, or they start to fight when a Kano steps in. It seems protoids have a spot on their backs you can grab that renders them useless, and Kano indeed grabs that part. And then we all learn about it, so hey, we'll use that later when that dude's being a huge dick, I'm sure. Definitely put, uh, uh, just put a pin in that and keep it in mind on the table. <laughs> um, Kano's back in control and they discuss his condition. The protoid has a theory, which is that Kano is neuroflipping. Okay. They spill the beans to Kano about what happened, what actually happened to his brain, and the theory that the other half of Kano's brain is in the head of a cruel. That, um, and so. Basically, yeah, that that half of a cruel's brains in Kano's head and half of Kano's brains in a cruel's head, and they're kind of, kind of flipping back and forth, basically. Um, okay. And that cruel's probably insane. Bad times. Oh yeah, I mean everybody's going insane from cruel because some heart getting reborn, probably yeah. through Kano, etc. He, yeah, he's insane because he's about to be jammed into the cruel heart to help it regenerate, basically. Great. We then, um, in the final episode of Bad Company, we see a com- a, a coffin being shot into space as Danny mm. writes in his journal about their next destination, the Cruel Heart. Sure. Why not? Yeah, we, sounds- we flash back to see the end of the previous conversation with the theory that if they uh, defeat the Cruel, sharing Kano's brain, they could short-circuit the Cruel Heart's regeneration and destroy the Cruel altogether. Yeah, sure, I guess. Yeah, the theory is that now that Kano knows what's happening, he can try to control the neuro flips and work from there. Maybe try to flip into this Cruel's brain and do something that way. Hey, why not? Yeah, whatever. Um, the protoid also theorizes that the dying, corrupted heart is making the existed Cruel weird and deformed, and also <laughs> Kano. Danny questions the protoid's motive for all of this as they prepare a cage for Kano. Which... But, um, the protoid quickly sort of tries to deflect, and Kato himself is missing. I mean, again, like, why? I, I don't, I mean, if I was building this big cage thing, I'd wonder what. And also, uh, did, uh, Franks and Shiva get into a little bit of a pissy, pissy thing. You know? Yeah, it's no good, this jealousy. Well, because well, she straight up reads his mind. She's like, so where is he? And he's like, I thought you'd know. And, uh, you know. She but just don't straight passive aggressive with me, buddy. But in his brain, <laughs> yeah, because um, she's like linked with him still. So it, I had a, it was just a it was ooh, a good nice little like pin poke back at him. And I was like, good for yeah. you, girl. Totally. Kano comes rushing back, begging to be tied up, just straight up like a werewolf style. If you've ever had any werewolf experiences, Fox, you know. You oh, of course. I mean, teenage werewolf, werewolf in London, uh, an American werewolf in Paris. Yeah, good times. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> he's soon chained up, but then explodes out of it just the same because you know best played tra- plans of, of, of mice and men here. <laughs> as he as he breaks through, he grabs Tommy's throat and oh, throttles yeah. him, killing him. Tommy's dead. Bye, Tommy. <laughs> I guess yeah. you stick around long enough in the comic book to finally die. R.I.P. Mad Tommy. We see. Uh, we look on on his coffin as Danny eulogizes him. Um, they reinforce the Kano cage, and they're off to the Hooray. cruel heart. Hooray! It's the Chronicles of Riddick. Basically. Bad <laughs> Company will return in May. Oh, oh, really? That's not so far yeah. away. No, no, no. Just a couple episodes here. I'm actually pretty okay with, with uh, killing off Tommy. I think yeah. that... He's seemed kind of directionless, honestly. I think that's why they did versions. it. Yeah, because he's yeah, it's very much kind of a low calorie kill here. Because mostly, like he, the the only thing he's done really is sort of occasionally drop some weird philosophical things and been told to shut up. You know. Yeah. And since he doesn't have a connection to the plot, and they've already sort of told Kano all that backstory and stuff like that. Oh, God. <laughs> like he's just he's just his World War II style madness is just not as interesting as the Protoid or Shiva or um Rackham, that pain dude, or Darancy and the the um the elite and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, Poor guy. He was yeah. uh, he was written into ineffectiveness by the end of the uh, the first one. So absolutely, yeah. Sadly, obsolescence caught him before a bullet did. Dun, dun, dun. <gasps> oh my god! Hot <laughs> take. Yeah, though I also think it is a little interesting just to in- show the increased savagery of Kano because oh yeah, Mad Mad Tommy was always able to talk Kano out of killing him and in his insanity previously, and his first move now that he's super cruel and insane is to is to kill his 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 previous um, release valve. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And speaking of the best laid plans, Fox. Oh, God. Let's go to Thrill 2, Judge Dredd. Man, everything. I just, I love it so much, man. <laughs> Pretty good, buddy. Script about John Wagner and Alan Grant. Art robot Will Simpson, Barry Kitson, and Brendan McCarthy. Letting robot, a Tom Frame. You know, I, I did not see where this was going two times. You know, <laughs> um, oh, once in the middle, what you thought for sure. Oh, I fucking, I, you don't need to wait. I fucking loved it. <laughs> oh, awesome. No, no, no. I, I mean, what you, uh, what you got wrong in your prediction of how things were going to oh, go. Oh, I just, I just didn't think, I, oh uh, yeah. I just didn't think that people meet first <laughs> and then <laughs> totally. the, and then the ending second. I was like, what? Yeah. It was good. Cool, yeah, let's jump into it. Uh, Dredd's technically third in the prog, but uh, don't worry about it. I'll explain why later. Mm. Um, so what are we doing first? Will Simpson starts off on art as Sky Surfer Chopper plunges through the sky, gets hoverboard out of juice in a typhoon-wracked sea when he suddenly spots a ship. God, this guy is so fucking lucky. <laughs> Definitely. Just uh, gliding through the air now, Chopper desperately fights for the vessel and makes it. Oh, yeah, man. Crash landing. Smooth sailing now. Yeah. Hours later, the storm is cleared, and Chopper finds himself on the deck of a massive ship, which is seemingly deserted. Hmm. He explores the vessel and finally finds someone, a robot chef, in the galley. The chef's got a very piratey kind of talk, and with references to a black spot and someone named Jim, there's some very uh, Treasure Island, Long John Silver themes coming in. Oh, yeah, for sure. But although he keeps asking, 
if he fucking hates him, which is a weird deal. Yeah, hates me. Don't me. Don't you, Jim. Um, Chopper explains his situation, and things get bad fast as the uh, cook accuses Chopper of hating him. And uh, Chopper tries to assure him that he doesn't, and instead asks for just some spare food and, like, some, you know, to recharge his power cells. Come on, man. Hey, dude, everything's fine. Let me just reassure you I don't hate you a few times. Please. And the chef happily agrees. Chopper eats some bread as the cook prepares some bosun's broth. And Mm. Chopper asks about the crew, and the chef says that they were jerks. They didn't like his cooking or his nautical voice, which he thinks he's very uh, uh, charmed with. Yeah. Listen, because of that, that's why he chopped them all up and used them as ingredients in his cooking. He He opens the deep freeze and reveals that bosun's broth has real bosun in it. It's real, uh, real gross. Pretty gross. Chopper hurls and uh, learns the the galley door is locked and the chef is now pissed and coming after him. Yeah, don't be vomiting up and then trying to leave and fuck you, man. Yeah, listen, puking up someone's food is not a good way to compliment the chef. That's what I'm no. going to say. I mean, of course, eating human being, I mean, I don't... Yeah, I mean, yeah, counterpoint, you shouldn't expect a lot of compliments when you're serving dude, but, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's neither here nor there, you know? I guess. Um, Next up, there's no credit badge, but I believe Simpson's still on art as a surfer and chef fight the classic enemies. They're making a mess. Even Chopper's mom would blanch the level of washing up required as this melee continues. Jesus. When Chopper is pinned, he asks for one last request. More of that bosun's broth and a mm. cut of Mr. Armstrong, if you have any left. And he does! No, oh, well, here, let me put something together for you. You know, just go in here, salute the dead body. With a lovely lemon sauce. Mmm. The cook goes into the meat locker, and Chopper locks the door behind him. And, dude, come on, the guy is a robot, so of course he's immediately going to chop through that door. He's got a giant meat cleaver for a hand, you know? But that does buy Chopper enough time to climb out a portal, a.k.a. window of the vessel, oh. and get up the, to the side of the ship while the cook comes after him. Chopper tries to hit him with a boat hook, but when that doesn't work, instead he shoots him with a flare gun. And, man, does that set him on fire. Sh- shiver me, flambade! Shades of the final... Um, final T- uh, uh, sections of invasion here as the uh, big bad guy set fire at the flare gun. Oh my god, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Cookie goes over the side of the boat and Chopper is safe. Cookie the robot will return in the Judge Dredd magazine issue two, uh, 217 what? in 2004. What? You know, the uh, the issue, uh, the, the story of uh, whatever happened to Cookie. Anyway. Oh my god, that's fantastic. Chopper's board is heavily damaged. He can't ride it all the way to Oz. But wait a minute. This ship can make it there. (laughs) I feel like even faster and in better condition. Although with substantially less edible food. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's honestly, like, you know... Obviously, the meat in the meat locker is no good, but there's probably like you know some ramen packs or something. Well, clearly they've got lemon sauce, and who doesn't want to like eat some lemon sauce? Yeah, like listen, all right, you know this is one of these situations where sure the ingredients in the main chopped basket are unusable, but there's a lot of stuff in the chopped pantry you can still use to uh, make a decent (laughs) meal. You know, sure, why not? Watch some cooking shows recently. Oh. Anyway, uh, Chopper's board is heavily... Yeah, oh, I said that. Okay. So, sailing on autopilot, <laughs> Chopper patches his board, and soon the Antipodian continent slash country is in sight. 
Oh man, it is time to make a break. Chopper for Oz, baby, and the world yeah. is erupting. In Oz, Judge Dredd gets a message. A sky surfer has been <clears throat> spotted 40Ks offshore and approaching. It's Chopper! So great. And there might just be some admiration in Judge Dredd's face. I mean, how could you even tell? Uh, he's I, frowning I, a little less. Yeah, slight lightening of, of the frown. You know, it's kind of gone from full horseshoe just to uh, uh, left parentheses or whatever. Yeah, or like right in, I guess. Yeah, near, near straight line. Yeah. So Barry Kitson gets on art as an Australian stereotype uh, reporter named Barold Crago joins the crowd in front of the Sydney Opera House as a fleet of surfers welcomes Chopper as he makes landfall. He's greeted by old friends like Wipeout Jones and new rivals like Jug McKenzie. Didn't Wipeout, like, go on television and say, yeah, he's totally dead? I mean, he's just, yeah. I mean, he was, he was like Mega City One's, like, expert consultant, like, uh, sure. guest on the news. I don't think he wanted Chopper to die. I just think that, like, listen, like, Chopper's headed out one man into a typhoon, like... If you don't, if if nobody spotted him for a whole bunch of days, then clearly, like you know, you, you have to assume he's dead, well, that's and he's fair probably enough. just amazed and stoked that his buddy's still alive. You know, <laughs> that's fair. Um, yeah, listen, it's a whole thing. Um, <laughs> Chopper, um, they shake, uh, Jug and Chopper shake hands as Chopper lands. Crego starts to interview him. Surviving the trip took a lot of luck, but then a hand falls on his shoulder. <gasps> Your luck's just run out, creep. It's dread. Oh my god, is he getting arrested? That's right. He arrests Chopper and says he's taking him back to Mega City One to go back into the cubes. Hmm. The, the Meg itself breaks out into spontaneous shouts of Chopper, and the whole city's starting to boil over, though Judge Silver just says, let it go. We can't arrest the whole city for shouting. I mean, that's true. Yeah. Th down under, things are also getting tense, though, as a Dread, um, Dread makes a strong point that he doesn't know why everybody's so pissed. Chopper missed qualifying. He can't race anyway. But uh. all the other racers there are in solidarity and basically just say Chopper must race or none of them will. So the uh, tournament organizer's like, yeah, sure, I guess, whatever. I don't want <laughs> everybody to drop out. Um, Dread is undeterred, though he's taking Chopper back when suddenly Judge Bruce appears and pulls and puts a gun to his head. Gasp. The Oz judges want the race to continue. They're making a lot of money from it. And uh, they're arresting Dredd and taking him into custody until the race is over. Oh, man. Not good. Yeah, Dredd is pissed as he's led away, but it's no use. Chopper for Super Surf 10! <laughs> awesome. Next final story for Judge Dredd this episode, Fox. Yeah, and I was surprised, like, because, again, I was not expecting the Judda. And I was like, oh, maybe it's just like a, <clears throat> I don't know, a before he got here thing or some shit like that. Finding out, like, the whole story, I was like, oh, that's fucking, that's pretty, that's cool. Yeah, Brendan McCarthy's on art. No shit, the Judd are attacking! <laughs> <laughs> Judd was just chilling in his apartment, reading some papers, and they kind of uh, um, teleport in behind him and blast his sweet easy chair. I know, Boo what the on hell? sneak attacks. I know, boo on shooting an easy chair. Come on, man. I, thought, I I need that chair. I don't have one here. It's like, you know, hard sitting. I but, know. Uh, 
Cut back to a newspaper with Dredd being arrested, Fox. In Mega City 1, everybody's making jokes about Dredd and looking forward to the race. The ordeal of getting to Oz combined with breaking in a new board still has Mackenzie favored for winning the race over Chopper. Oh, sure. He's been through a lot, you know? Um, meanwhile, Chopper's enjoying the lacks of luxury, the lap of luxury in a fancy hotel. When there's a knock on his window, it's Wipeout Jones. Oh man, what's up, man? I'm gonna take you through the pre-course. Yeah, Jones leads Chopper through the practice course, and he's looking pretty good to go. Meanwhile, Dread waits in the diplomatic detention quarters. He's on high alert though, because he's actually bait for the Warriors of Judd. Gasp! It was all just a fucking ruse. They teleport in as the Oz judges watch on surveillance cameras. Yeah, they all plan for it. The Judda, of course, do their signature move, which is doing a lot of talking before they start shooting. So <laughs> that Dread is able to dodge and come up with a gun of his own. It's a trap! Oh my god! We gotta Especially, take him alive before they kill each other. Yeah, the uh, the Judd the Judda realize that the uh, the cops have activated teleport disruptors, so they can't escape. One of the Judda tries to kill the other, but before he can take his own life, Dread tackles him and knocks him out. The Aussie judges burst in and hit all the both the attackers with riot foam <laughs> and take them to the med bay. They just spray them down. Just get That's, them stuck to the floor. Just love that. I mean, it's a very smart first move. It's just like, Definitely. all right, we're going to make sure that you guys can't fuck around. Totally. Yeah. Uh, turns out this was all J- uh, Dred's plan. They've got living Judd up prisoners. Now they just have to make them sing. It's interesting because he was using the front page news so you kind of get the sense that they're not from the future at the very no. least yeah next time the lost tribe but yeah, yeah it's in yeah it, it's interesting because he, he says that, like that the front page news of him being arrested says that he's like there's no way they can't know exactly where i am and they won't like take the bait of me just sitting here presumably arrested like without a weapon and stuff yeah um which yeah is it like it, it kind of uh I don't know. It throws Dredd's um, involvement in the Chopper story into question, right? Yeah. Like, like it could. It seems like it could almost be like he was just coming down here. He like he doesn't care about Chopper. He's just down here for the Judda for some reason. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Either tracking them or it was just a good ruse in that. Oh, of course he's going to go to this place because the guy is maybe there. When realistically, it was all just a charp. Yeah, I mean, it could, and, and it would definitely explain the admiration in Dredd's face when Chopper actually makes it, you know? I mean, he is a Meg like, City One kid, you know? Yeah, and like maybe he wasn't even expecting, uh, like he's just there for the ruse, so the fact that mm. Chopper actually made it is just sort of an interesting thing that he didn't even expect. Yeah, it's kind of awesome. I liked yeah, it a lot. Inter- interesting stuff like the uh the the double nature of this um of this epic i think is really interesting compared to other ep- other mega epics we've done where it's really um like you know there's the two stories that are sort of vaguely related at this point the super surf sto- like chopper and the super surf and dread and the judda you know we're gonna see how they sort of cross over as we're getting mm. as, as we head onwards but it's still fun awesome yeah absolutely yeah. totally and as we go on, speaking of things uh, reaching their climaxes, Fox. Well, actually, that's not true. We're pretty far from the climax of, um, of Oz. But in other news, or sorry, speaking of things that fly around all day, Fox. Oh, no. Feast, feast on human flesh, whether uh, we know it or not. Uh. It's 
Thrill 3, Nemesis the Warlock. Uh, script robot for Nemesis, Pat Mills, Art Robots, John Hinklinton and David Roach, Letting Robot, Steve Potter. Man, jumping right back. I, It's weird. I know we do this once a week, uh, but I always forget just how gross uh, fucking <laughs> Hinkleton can just get with yeah. some of these. I mean... We had a week in between this one for the spinnies and, and things like that, but we are really jumping right in from a pretty heavy cliffhanger in 554 into oh, 555 here. It's so gross. I should say, uh, technically, Nemesis comes after Bad Company, but I've moved to later in the show, oh, so yeah. we can have the start of a three-month-long Pat Mills Power Hour. Fuck yeah, baby. So, Fox, here we go. Nemesis and his son Thoth have reunited, but have then been ambushed by the evil Torquemada. No! It's real bad. They're in trouble because Nemesis has expended a lot of his power to neutralize Thoth's for the reunion. So now, they're at the Archbigot's mercy. Like any good villain, of course, Torquemada explains his plan. How he had his spies find somebody in Toledo doing some kind of miracle. In this case, that alchemist that Nemesis gave the lead to gold formula to. God, that guy has bit them in the ass so many times now. Absolutely. They questioned him under torture and then laid a trap... with a with a Torquemada, with a past Torquemada being lightly guarded so that they'd grab him, and then having the alchemist lead him back to the base. Ah. Funnily enough, as he's doing this, Torquemada realizes that he's monologuing and gets <laughs> to what he's really here for, which is killing and kind of spitting on his chainsword while he fucking rubs it with a thing. It's real he's- gross. Super duper into this chainsword, yeah. As he, uh, as he like kisses the side of it and just like, oh, just this gross blood sputum kind of oh, thing comes off oh, the it's side of it. Really disgusting. Real bad. Might make that the Alvmar for this one, Fox. I'm not gonna lie to you. It's, I, it's, it's so completely understandable. Very striking. Um, yeah. Um, oh, I should say also uh, when they um, when they talk about Torquemada being lightly guarded, like down to three guys instead of fifty, um, Purity does get in a little dig about how beloved um, the Inquisitor must be <laughs> to re- require that big of a guard in his daily life. Yeah. Um, anyway. A couple squads of Terminators attack both Purity and Nemesis and are quickly mowed down. Meanwhile, the Grandmaster himself is hunting Homunculus, the little Thoth. An awesome image of just this little uh, baggy Thoth running away, then reflected in the blade of Torquemada's chainsaw. Blood dripping off his twisted Hinklinton face. Come here, you little dastard. Oh, God. The, uh... Despite the, Termi- the Terminator's efforts, Nemesis is able to break free and could have saved Thoth, but past Torquemada gets in his way and is burned alive by Nemesis's fiery breath. Yeah, he picks him up by the shoulders and just flamethrowers him in the face. It's awesome. <laughs> the Inquisitor dies as Nemesis runs after Torquemada, begging for his son's life. Kill me, Torquemada, kill me! Torquemada says he's will, but first, an eye for an eye, warlock. A tooth for a tooth. Your son for mine. God. And in a welter of gore, it is done. 
It's so fucking harrowing. <laughs> it's pretty rough, man. I love it, though, because Torquemada, he just turns. We see the wreckage of Thoth's body after being yeah. chainsawed. We, all we see at, in the, at the end of this episode is Torquemada's mad eyes saying, Now for the father. It's so horribly disgusting. Both of them are just horrible, twisted vengeance creatures. I love this though. This is some awesome stuff right here. Mm-hmm. Just, um, just the the feeling of uh, Thoth dying. Oh, it's great. Oh. So Thoth, Thoth is uh, going down. He's dying, Fox. And Nemesis and Torquemada stare down, vengeance and hatred in their eyes. But as the hom- homunculus dies, Nemesis's powers return, and that's a bad time for non-Nemesis. Oh my God! So better don this super awesome armor I totally brought for this super special occasion of not yeah, getting tur- flamethrowered. <laughs> Turk him out a plan for this, man. He's got his new armor. It's demon-proof, flame-proof, slime-proof. You'll remember, I think it was uh, the Gothic Empire that yeah. uh, Turkamata had not planned for Nemesis's slime. And so he sort of planned around that. But Blech. it's basically protection for against any emanation of the warlock. But he forgot one thing, Fox. Oh, God. And it's that Nemesis is Lord of the Flies. So, hey, all those vents that you have to breathe and all those little nooks and crannies you have, it's time for those flies to just swarm into your face mouth. That's right. Got some bugs up in your nooks. <laughs> I should say Lord of the Flies is also the literal translation of the name of the, of the demon uh, uh, Be- uh, Beezlebub. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in that kind of thing, Beezlebub constant uh, problem of my early Dungeons & Dragons career, <laughs> mostly because my uh, DM loved saying the name. Beezlebub. Good it's times. It's a pretty fun one to say out of all of Got- the... Out of all those, the Satan names, you know? It's, yeah, it's got that Z and those Bs in it. It's pretty mm-hmm. solid. The really, warlock, yeah. Really bug-feeling. <laughs> so, definitely. So, okay. Nemesis has summoned this big-ass cloud of flies that are enveloping Torquemada's armor, feasting on the decaying flesh of his uh, time-warped body. Ugh. And then Nemesis drops the master stroke, breathing a, cla- a wall of super intense fire onto the Grand Master. It can't cut through the metal, but instead welds all of its joints and links oh my God. together. So, hey, it's- all them bugs are just caught inside now. Plus, his armor is just incredibly hot. Like, it's just like an iron in there, basically. He can't, it's, um, everything's stuck in place. He can't move. He's just trapped in a personal hell, the world's smallest prison cell of just him and all these bugs. It's real fucking gross, man. Totally. With Torquemada seemingly handled, Nemesis turns to his son, and in his grief, the Terminators are able to abscond with the body of their master, pallbearers, to a metal <laughs> coffin. Oof. <laughs> Despite Purity's efforts, they make it back to their vehicle, the Auto de Fe, as uh, Thoth dies in Nemesis's arms. No. It's a bummer. Feel bad for this kid, man. You know, he's yeah. been with us for a while. I mean, he fucking, his mom died. And then yeah. his, he had to part with his T-Rex. You know, yeah. he had to, as a baby, learn psychic powers and use them to hypnotize the master assassin of the Terminators. Oh, just God, to be able that's to survive. right. It's crazy. God, damn, he's really been through a shitload. And then he just gets chainsorted at the end of it. It's rough. So Torquemada and company escape aboard the Auto de Fe. They're speeding back to Termite, but Torquemada's in a super bad situation. The yeah. same armor, as we said, that protected him from Nemesis is now keeping him from being helped. 
And so, long-term minor character brother Micron has a plan. Turn everything off, even the engines, and use the combined power of the vehicle to make a single white-hot point of heat to cut through the armor. There's welding right through there. This really feels like it could, uh, could really not end well, you know what I mean? It's definitely one of those things where it's like, um... Like when they have to cut a cast off you, but without the technology that makes it so that that, that doesn't like cut you open. Instead, it's like real, just we're trying to be careful, but this very real chance is going to fuck you up, buddy. <laughs> but we really have to use this actual hacksaw and use our hands to do it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like we got to get this cast off. All I have is this sledgehammer and this uh, one of those giant like uh, two-person saws that doesn't have a lot of control on it, you know? Oh, so we're no. just going to try to do our best. Uh, Um, they do manage to cut the armor open but not without extreme pain for Torquemada they cut it off they drain all of the flies inside they either escape or have to be vacuumed out of his various like you said nooks and crannies and eventually the master is free and like here's here's the downside of John McClinton's art because like a a newly freed from a metal coffin Torquemada doesn't look massively different than sort of you know standard going to the store Torquemada no why do you hear no I mean he's he's a little weirder he's got a little less lips I guess yeah but he's mostly like he there's not as much of a change as you might like honestly no uh, a difficulty of um, Hinklinton's scary ass art style yeah it's true um, but anyway, with his son dead, Nemesis and Purity also head out to, to kill Torquemada, then destroy the Earth. This planet is condemned. No. Uh, Purity calls Nemesis on this, that all humanity is to blame for Torquemada, just as all warlocks on, are man. to be blamed for the evil-ass warlocks that like Nemesis is related to. Yeah, you know. come on, bro. Purity begs for her planet as the Blitz Spear nears the auto de fe, and the newly freed Torquemada takes the control in a welter of blood. Ugh. They begin to fight and dogfight in these massive time tunnels when they're suddenly rendered by a massive explosion, a time wave. I love how it also makes mention uh, during this time. They're like, yeah, man, these guys are both fucking really great at flying. <laughs> yeah. And kind of hearkening back to, you know, when to, we first yeah, met t- these dudes before everything got all fucked up. Definitely, yeah. When 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 it was just like two guys fighting the traffic wars in the tunnels mm-hmm. of, of of a termite, absolutely, um, yeah. But the uh, this massive time wave can only mean one thing: the ABC Warriors have failed. Oh no! The end of book seven. <sighs> it's awesome, man. It's awesome, disgusting, and sad and horrible. Yeah, just that moment where um, Torquemada is hunting after Thoth with that chain sword. I, is... I did not. I mean, I figured, you know, because he goes into the super time and there's de- deterministic things that are just going to yeah. happen always. I figured something like him or purity. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because but... it said when he did that, that, that uh, someone wasn't there, which definitely implied some someone important was, was going to die. But you didn't really think that they were, like, this guy was going to hunt down a kid with a yeah, chainsaw. Ch- chainsaw murder a kid. It's tough, but also it's... really not, really cool, man. This is such a such a striking moment of nemesis, for sure. It's really it's great. It's a very visceral fucking comic book. I'll give it that. Definitely. And with book seven, Fox, hey, let's continue on to book eight. Oh, hell yeah. It's time for a purity interlude. 
Yeah, purity story. David Roach is now on art, so we got a different-looking purity now. She's very much a uh, Sigourney Weaver from Alien. Yeah, it uh, definitely. Type. I mean, I'm okay with them borrowing heavily from something I love, but Def- yeah, I did not. Sure. I I never saw her looking that way. If that makes sense. No, she looks very different from both. I think both the main times we've seen purity, which has been like, uh, um, both like the uh, the ho- the. Uh, uh, Jesus Redondo book two had a lot of purity mm-hmm. and um, so did you know obviously so did the recent Hinklinton stuff had a lot of purity and she looks very different from those two yeah um, but she looks real cool here she's still got that white streak in the in, in, in her hair and stuff hell yeah buddy like yeah she's a cool lady we all know that but what made her betray humanity and maybe just maybe love an alien <gasps> we'll find out <laughs> Uh, we cut back to last Prague as the Blitzspear and Otto de Fay are r- t- having a running battle when a massive time explosion comes through. What? I do like this recap of just having us going back to Torquemada is an extremely goopy kind of look. Like, that's a good... Yeah, um, man. I, it's so gross. He's got the <laughs> triangle head thing going on, you know? Yeah. But this one makes him look... Uh, a lot grosser. It really stands out in a, in a Roach's more traditional style, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but anyway, a uh, Torquemada pilots his ship back into real time, going through the time portal. Wherever he lands, will experience a massive temporal dis- distortion. And Nemesis follows the Grand Master, but loses him in the open country of whatever Earth they've landed. On. And we kind of hand wave that it doesn't mean that the ABC Warriors have failed. It's just That's like, true. Oh, yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, this could just be a normal kind of thing. The ABC Warriors could still prevail, which is good, because as we'll see soon, the ABC Warriors are indeed mid um, doing stuff, you know. Yeah. So they resolve to wait. Obviously, Torquemada can't go back to his own time without passing through this this portal. Um, and they, uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so it seems Nemesis has cooled down a bit on destroying Earth and is instead refocused on Torquemada himself because it's more interesting. Yeah. And Purity does reflect on the chaotic nature of Nemesis and his plans. Like, you know, he's definitely shifted from destroying the whole Earth to just destroying Torquemada several times. Sure. And I mean, she's um, kind of like mentioning, uh, he's kind of an agent of chaos. So it's sort of like that. Whereas for me, I'm just like, ah, it seems like he's just kind of an asshole. So, yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I'm not. I would. I would. You'd never hear me say that someone who identifies as an agent of chaos is not an asshole. That is an asshole thing yeah. to identify as, for the record. Um, <laughs> we and sh- and she also reflects that a lot of times it just seems like uh, Nemesis is just playing playing games out there. Like he's like yeah. a god that's just sort of messed around with people. And as she does, and sometimes those games can get out of hand. And she remembers vaguely a time he played a game like that with her. Mm. And this but, is where things—I mean, at least for myself—feel a little, little rapey. Yeah, it's not good. You know, we'll definitely see that as it goes on. Like she talks, she has a vague memory of things, but can't really remembered very well because she mostly indeed does seem to remember something happening and the nemesis hypnotizing uh, her to forget it all um, right buddy it seems like it was just a dream and then she remembers that her father was arrested by the thought police for having an anti-government dream and that from there that her father taught her the uh, termite martial art of traff kicking which um, <laughs> of the uh, tube navies great Great even if it was name. just even if it was just called trafficking, I think that would be a cool martial art name. Yep, traff kicking. That's pretty solid. 
<laughs> I should I should mention also in forgotten pun news. I believe the first time we learned this story, the um the dream the uh these uh thought police were actually called the dream police, and that's oh. just a cheap trick, buddy. Anyway, damn. <laughs> anyway, um. Oh my god, I lost it. But yeah, but now she wonders as she and Nemesis are kind of like snuggling up to each other in whatever frontier they're on, or wilderness they're on. How had it all started? How did she first become alienated? Oh, puns already. I mean, right. you got me with the fucking, you got me with the cheap trick pun, but that, it's just like, all right, guys. <laughs> Do my best. Next time, Krug off world. Yeah, sure. Looking good, man. Looking real yeah, good. I'm, I'm pretty excited um, for this, or I'm, I'm interested in this story. I really like David Roach's art style as well. It's very, of course, very different from Hinklinton's, mm. but I think it's also very. Um, it really fits this kind of more more human story that's focused on on purity and her experiences. Oh sure. And it's got some more sort of in depth uh, termite um, termite lore, which I always appreciate. I like the uh, the in depth stuff with that. You yeah. Know? Just feels Even, like I, we're getting back to basics a little bit and out of this uh, this last couple of you know. Um, yeah, this books. one. Yeah, this is definitely a more old school kind of story for sure that we're getting to. Um, but Fox, with that done, the Pat Mills Power Hour will return after these messages. Non thrills, <laughs> covers, and nerve center. Yay! That's ah, all right. Brock five five five. Like it or lump it. It. Like it or lump it, creep, it stays. Mm. John Higgins draws a juve from the Citizens Against Cha- uh, Change um, from the uh, Ned Lund block, which is where we get the uh, the Ned Lund block, which we get the uh, term Luddite, trying to get rid of the new 2080 logo, but Dred's there to stop him. Gasp. Inside, we've also got a new look nerve center. Ooh, very exciting. Mm-hmm. Which includes some alien writing and a profile of Tharg by by Mick McMahon. Um, cool. And this is actually some of his last work in the prog. This uh, profile <laughs> until 1999. Really? Yeah, we'll have this style of nerve center until uh, prog 699. Just FYI, when a new version arrives in prog 700. Um, for a while, I thought maybe um, this head would slowly change each prog, like he'd look s- slightly to the s- more to the side each one. Ah. But no, there's just a couple different versions of this version of Tharg, but there's no actual transition in it. Oh, okay. Um, eventually, also they'll be um, he'll be drawn by by Brett Ewins instead of McMahon. So you know, whatever. The upper left corner of this new nerve center has the editorial, and the rest is the usual pictures, letters, legal info, voting coupons, and the occasional, like, you know, stamp ad or whatever mm-hmm. else. Um, um, so, the coupon also now has a pair of scissors over it with some very uncomfortable-looking alien finger holes yeah. in them. Yeah. And these scissors will be a staple for the voting coupon for the next, like, couple hundred progs, actually. It's kind of a minor thing. But I'm just going to... Mentioning these things that I've noticed, but whatever. Um, There's pictures of a Strontium Hog and a Pork Amata. Very uh, kind of piggy guest hosts. And a Strontium Sprog Bradley. Uh. Um, Letters include pronunciations of slain, protestations from Anthrax fans, and a discussion about a slander versus libel. Okay. 
Prague ends with results from the Dread Movie Poster Contest. Winners include future 2080 art droid and comics colorist Darren Stevens. Uh, for me, the best cool. part of all these ones are the um, is all the people cast in the movies. Um, like Clint Eastwood, Michael Douglas, and Fred Dreyer from the TV show Hunter are all cast just as can, Dread. cannot get away from Clint Eastwood, man. No, I mean, it's such a clear choice for sure. You know, that Dirty Harry kind of thing. I and, guess. Uh, both Heather, Heather Locklear and Farrah Fawcett are cast as Judge Anderson. And oh, also Farrah key, Fawcett for sure. He's got that, got that real, um, like, uh, like, like super hair. You know, <laughs> it's the hair, it's the charm, it's the ability to make some some yucks. You know, definitely. Although I think, honestly, as I'm thinking back about and about Andersons, I don't know if she's really had big Farrah Fawcett hair all that much. No, just, I just think it, she would look fantastic with a perm. Definitely, and but that's one of those like kind of things that we always that I feel like I always assume about Anderson, just the same way that she's actually often not had high heeled boots for a lot of her adventures. Oh, really? I think I think she had them for like maybe some, some of the initial ones, but I know I'm pretty sure like City of the Damned, for instance, she actually had like 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 flat boots. She huh. definitely she she definitely had them in, uh, in in Hour of the Wolf instead of high high heels, which is kind of okay. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. Anyway, um, blah, blah, the back page is the start of a series of pinups of the dark judges, starting with Judge Fire. And speaking of uh, of uh, Judge Footwear, I think I just noticed that all the dark judges are uh, are don't, barefoot. Yeah, don't wear shoes. Yeah, a little. Bit. I noticed yeah. it with fear, and then went back to look at everybody else. Yeah, they don't it's wear weird, shoes. Right? I, I think it's a funny juxtaposition of Dread, who's always got these giant green boots. That well, the, his anti that the the anti ethical judges have tiny bare feet. You know. Well, now you know what happens to judges who don't get tight enough boots to stop them from their free thinking. Ooh, fair point. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Five prog five five six. Spread the word. ABC Warriors are back. Going to say that like uh, ten times this yeah, episode. Baby. <laughs> This cover is a group shot by Simon Bisley about which much more later, though it does kind of spoil the return of Deadlock and uh, all that stuff. Oh, sure. But don't stress I'm, out about I it. I love the way Joe Pineapples looks now, man. Definitely. He's got a real cool makeover going on mm-hmm. here. In the nerve center, Tharg admits that Nemesis and Bad Company are coming to a close, but more Nemesis uh, and Strontium Dog are on the way. Yay, Strontium Dog. Yeah, there's pictures of a Justice Sphinx. And Tharg the Shadow knows the thrills that hurt, lurk in the hearts of men. <laughs> Letters include the massive difficulty about of getting 2018 in Australia. Writing yeah. kangaroos are required. We learn that uh, George Harrison reads 2000 AD, and he must have huh. studied transcendental meditation with Mandala. Which is uh-huh. whatever. But Fox, here's what I want to tell you: something that I just learned, which What's is that. that? Uh, Mandala's real name, Peter St. John. His last name's actually probably pronounced uh, Sinjin, like Peter Sinjin. What? Which is apparently some kind of posh Brit thing where um, St. John becomes Sinjin, and that's a whole thing. And they told me that on the 2080 forums, and I was not pleased, which is it's it's real bad. I don't... How is that even possible? I don't know, but it is. Like, I said, actually, like, you know, actually, Conrad, it's probably pronounced Sinjin. Everyone's like, yeah, it probably is. At least one person was like, uh, was like, I appreciate you pronouncing it the way it's spelled because I hate those dirty aristos, which I always oh also my God. appreciate. Um, anyway. <laughs> huh. Um, it really there, is. Yeah. Can be pronounced that. This is upsetting. 
I, I agree. <laughs> so um, there's also some confusion in the letters about the time on other planets and Strontium Dog. And John Bronson's Flicks column is back, this time talking about key Conrad-influenced film RoboCop. They include pictures of the Melty Dude, which I appreciate. Um, I don't know about you, Fox, but for me, RoboCop was actually the uh, the first R-rated movie I ever saw when I was like eight or nine Ooh. years old. Still uh, one of my faves. Oh, I I mean, Sorry. I still contest to this day that it that it is a a not just a perfect action movie, but it deserves like it's up there with Citizen Kane, my man. Like it is yeah. a fantastic film. It's one of my favorites. So at a summer camp, I was changed forever. Um, anyway, oh my God. Uh, Bronson makes a really big deal about the similarities between uh, Murphy, or a.k.a. RoboCop, and Judge Dredd. And he especially makes note that the scriptwriter said he was influenced by more grown-up comics and, and things like that. Mm. Um, and while okay. I guess there, there, are sim- there, there are certainly similarities between Dredd and RoboCop, most notably that they have that helmet with just their lower face showing and stuff sure. like that. Um, but I'd say I'm tempted to say honestly that the influence is much more Frank Miller than 2000 AD, yeah. especially when you take into account that both RoboCop two and three were actually written by Frank Miller. So yeah. like that feels like that might've been a, like a much more of a, of an influence. Cause I mean, just, just as that, um, you know, face covering mask is true for dread. It's also true for Batman, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think it's, I, I don't think you can lock that into just saying we own this. He just happens to be a cop, which I mean, if you're talking about fucking superheroes, I feel like you're not, not really too off base thinking. Like, yeah. I'm not, cop. I'm not saying, I'm not saying dread isn't part of the mix here, but oh, I, I also, am. I'm saying it's, I don't think so yeah. at all. Oh, interesting. Like, I think there might be something in there, but he's definitely, like, part of a larger whole as opposed to what Bronson seems to be kind of saying, which is that they, they these guys saw Judge Dredd file the serial numbers off of it and made um, and made RoboCop. Yeah, and just because no, the RoboCop's... Right. The RoboCop story, especially, is so different than Dreads, you know? Yeah. So, so the difference be- between a cyborg cop and a, uh, and like, Dread, you know, Dreads clone stories or just the general Me- uh, Mega City 1 stuff. Right. Well, and one is also a giant critique on fucking capitalism and, fuck, that, like, police force. It's about, like, there's so many layers to the whole thing, whereas very clearly Judge Dredd is about fucking fascism. You know? Yeah, they got completely different isms, buddy. It's whole, yeah. a whole different thing. <laughs> uh, Bronson also mentions other forthcoming comics movies, including The Rocketeer, which is pretty early stuff because that won't come out until oh my 1991. God. I also fucking love The Rocketeer. It's good. Mid-prog, there's some digi-drawings, fan art done on computers, including Slain, Rogue, Judge Death, mm. and a pretty neat Nemesis one using this something called uh, Gem Paint, which I looked up and it led me down a rabbit hole of mid-80s graphic user interfaces. Huh. <laughs> the prog ends with a giant Torquemada preview and a pinup of Judge Fear, and I just always got to mention Judge Fear's sweet bear trap shoulder pads. Right. And, like, all of his... Uh, belt gear, like shrunken heads, and a big padlock and stuff like that. I love so his, making uh, making a making a big use of all the things that. I mean, bear traps. I'm pretty afraid of bear traps, just in general. T- he's definitely tossed them at people before. I've definitely seen that, and you know, I just yeah, I love fears uh, accoutrement. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Frog five five seven torquing heads. I get it. Uh... <laughs> 
John Hanklinton with a punny cover. In the nerve center, Tharg has temporarily lost his McMahon signature, and he regrets the end of both Nemesis and Bad Company. There's pictures of a Rasta, Judge Dreadlock, and Tharg the Kakak from the story Freaks. Lol. I guess. Letter, yeah. Letters ask if Zenith's dad is Barry Gibb of the Bee Gees. Uh, there's compliments for the end of the year 2000 AD after a week, uh, middle of 1987, which I don't know if I super, but mm. it's a fair point, I guess. Um, there's requests for more female creators to match the increase in female characters in 2000 AD. Uh, I think that's going to be harder, right? Like during this time, is there a ton of female? I wouldn't I know. Mean, well, I, I think there's definitely some. I think, like, the, uh, the, the boys' club is definitely coming to an end. Or, okay. I don't know, at, at least some breaks in it. I mean, um, last year we had the premiere of, uh, of uh, Annie, uh, Annie Parkhouse, female letterer, who's going to do a huge job. Mm. And by the, by the end of the year, we'll have uh, Hillary Robinson in as a writer who is going to, again, be a massive um, a massive influence on 2000 AD from Prague 600 or 700, basically. She's All going right. to write a ton of stuff in that period. Um, anyway, there's also a request for more thrill power at Imperial College in London. Mid-Prague, there's an ad that we're going to see a lot of for, uh, for, the, for the comic Oink with the character of Hieronymus von Helsen, Helsong, <laughs> who's like a, like a pig vampire hunter, basically. Okay. But I love the text of it. It seems very, very cool for a silly pig comic. I don't know. Mm. The prog answer the big ad for the Zenith miniseries we're about to get, and a pinup of Judge Mortis, who's all scary and twisted. And I love just like the little winged skull, yeah. um, belt and shoulder eagle. You know, he's got a good, good look here. A lot of bones. It's cute. Yeah. Five, five, eight. Let Maxi Man, lest we forget, he's lifting some tanks. <laughs> Yet another Steve Dillon Zenith cover. I don't know why Steve Yole isn't doing these <laughs> Zenith covers. It, like, I don't understand it. In it's the weird. Nerve Center. Yeah, it happens all the time. In the Nerve Center, Tharg uh, announces a new Zenith miniseries and a Nemesis full series. Of course, Purity Stories, which we just talked about. Mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. are picture, pictures of two Judge Teds. One, a teddy bear who is a... Big Judge Ted, from the character Big Ted from the popular British TV show Play School, and a fancy lad, Judge Ted, dressed like a, a, a teddy boy, um, which is a, a post-war British fashion. Okay. Thanks to uh, Rob Too Good for giving me that information. Anyway, letters include an attempted correction about the rifles some troopers had in Zenith, at, at the end of Zenith, and uh. Tharg smacks that war, that war nerd down hard. <laughs> 485 caliber bullets. Get out of here with that. Sorry, 485 millimeter. That's what I'm trying to say. Anyway, okay. there's also corrections about Middenface McNulty's accent the, and the use of a yin instead of wan for the uh, Scottish use of the number one. Um, there's more co- collegial thrill power. This time, uh, Balliol College in Oxford has started stocking 2018 in its library. And wow. Requests for an updated 100 groat note from when it was last printed in Prague huh. 33, our okay. episode 10, a thousand years ago. Oh my god, that's no, that's like a billion jillion years ago. It never happened. So many. Over 500 Prague's. We, inhe- a- we inherited this from our grandfathers. Over 140 episodes. Oh my god. Nah. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's always gonna go. I was in the Shaco days. Anyway, mid. Oh my god! There's an an ad announcing the merge of Eagle and Battle. Excited to see um, how the uh, Where Eagles Dare Boys are gonna handle that when I get to it. Um, <laughs> and my uh, my understanding, Fox, is that the original Eagle merged into Lion comic in 1969, then Lion merged into Battle in 1976. So weirdly, with Eagle absorbing Battle, it's like absorbing its own lineage. Like, Whoa. The, like the original Eagle, which is, which is weird. I don't know. It's like a... Like fuck? a it's like one of those evolutionary... Like, if you ever seen one of those, like a... Like a evolutionary timelines where there's like branches and stuff of yeah. like you know like it started as this shrew and then it became like a dude a dog and a, and a dolphin <laughs> but this is one of those times where like one of those lines kind of goes out but then merges back into the main one you know oh my god I was gonna be a dolphin then I just went back to shrew I'm some kind of dolphin <laughs> um what anyway, the hell? we end with a pinup of Judge Death, who's always a good time. I love his pterodactyl shoulder eagle. Um, he's good, and there's also uh, um, instructions for how we can make this into one big poster. But honestly, it just seems like put them put them next to each other, bro. Yeah, like that's how you do it. They feel they feel like they can stand on their own. They look beautiful. Yeah, although I do think there are some backgrounds that look like the backgrounds do kind of blend into each other. If you Got it. To actually do, I should mention. I don't know if I said, but all these are done by 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 Gary Leach, the artist. Um, but speaking of exciting art facts, Fox. Oh my God! And getting back to the Power Hour, it's Thrill Four A B C Warriors. A B C Warriors. ABC Warriors. Beautiful. So happy to uh, to be able to say that when our audio was in terrible. Oh my oh, god! Oh my anyway. god! I, I man, Steve Bisley, eat your goddamn heart out. Simon, yeah. Script Simon. robot Pat Mills, art robot Simon Bisley, letter robot Jack Potter. The Pat Mills Power Hour continues with a new artist on the scene. As you said, Fox, Simon Bisley's here, ladies and gentlemen. It's fucking beautiful, man. It matches just the whole tone of it so well. Absolutely. You know, it's a real, it's, it's a heavy metal artist for heavy metal comic, for sure. Mm-hmm. And for, for better or for worse, Bisley Fox, just so you know, is a huge influence on British comics. He's going to do some ridiculous things in 2000 AD, starting right here with the ABC Warriors. Fuck and in yeah. a few years' time, with, uh, in Slain with the uh, comic-defining series, The Horned God. Okay. That that's sounds awesome. Be, that's one that's like, it's one of the uh, crown jewels of 2000 AD, call it. Um, he's done album covers. He's been in heavy metal. He's done a fair amount of Lobo, Batman, and Hellblazer for DC. Um, it's kind of an insult, actually, but I kind of see him as 2000AD's Rob Liefeld, I guess. This huh. heavily stylized artist that would define the comics look going from the late 80s to the early 90s, for better or for worse. Uh, I think I said for better or for worse there twice, but still, I mean, I feel like... I don't know. By the time we get to the mid '90s, there's just going to be so like a like a fair amount of comics in here that I would say are Bisley inspired, even after uh, Bisley has left 2000 AD. You know what I mean? I understand. Like we're sort of picking up here and are going to go go from it. Um, it's got but, like that whole kind of let's all be Lobo sort of feel. <laughs> a little, yeah, yeah, kind of. Just like how even like like when Liefeld isn't doing everything, there still was just a lot of patches of uh, pouches and leather jackets and guns. Yeah, in that era, in this era of American comics, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, 
uh, while it is for better or for worse, right now it's for better as we start a new series of ABC Warriors, Atomic, Bacterial, and Chemical, while they've been guesting in Nemesis for a while. This is their first solo strip since the glory days of Prague 139, episode 42, back in 1979. Jeez. So long ago. But now, here we go. We open on a future history of Earth, Fox, when the... Emperor <laughs> Zaline created the artificial black and white holes that made Earth a junction on the highway to the heavens and allowed humanity to conquer um, the, uh, the galaxy and build massive underground cities on Earth. Names like Mausoleum, Mausoleum Necropolis, and the capital of Agartha. Oh, God, really uh, putting that to use, aren't we, guys? Yeah, Fox, do you know what, uh, what Agartha is? It's it's um, not, if I remember this correctly, is it not similar to Shangri-La? Yeah, or Shambhala. Um, it's mm. also the name of a kingdom deep within the hollow earth. Right. So, yeah, it has that similar thing moving around. It was popularized by a theosophist and Nazi influencer, uh, Madame Blavatsky, as you do. Oh, also, my God. a big fan was former President John Quincy Adams, who uh, once uh, mounted... Used his presidential powers to mount an expedition to find the entrance to the Hollow Earth. What the fuck? It's all true. Um, anyway, the emperor grew decadent and cor- the empire grew decadent and corrupt. One emperor is called Thanos, and I'm, I'm not sure if this is a reference to the character Thanos, who was just a minor Marvel dude at this point, who was actually dead until about 1990 when he came back and started the whole Infinity Gauntlet stuff. Okay. Uh, but anyway. This was all kind of, you know, standard decadence and corruption until the radical firebrand, um, tube police captain Torquemada, rose to power. The nemesis came to stop him, and we've sort of reached the, uh, the, the point in the tape here, you know. Um, <laughs> later, Nemesis's son would sabotage the Black Hole control room, so let's get going. The ABC Warriors are trying to fix that before the two holes touch each other, and Earth and a significant amount of the nearby galaxy is destroyed. Not great, so yeah. I guess these guys are on a sweet-ass mission to find that control room? That's right. The ABC Warriors are Hammerstein, Joe Pineapples, Mongrel, Black Blood, Metquake, and Rojaws. Oh, yeah, baby. They're Old on their mouth. Yeah, they're on their way to the control room. Most of them riding Metquake, but sort of Mongrel running on the side carrying Rojaws because he's too smelly to ride along with everybody else. So rude. We also see Hammerstein has taken off his helmet, which gives him this kind of big chin crew cut look. Pretty similar to the uh, ABC robot from the Stallone Dread movie, I'd say. Yeah, very, very similar. Um, It'll evolve more to look more like that, for the the record, as time, time goes by. Uh, Hammerstein and Blackblood argue over who's in charge. Um, the team says on Mars was actually the missing deadlock who was running the show, not Which, him. Just, I mean, I is mean, that? I don't know how true that really is. Nah, uh, I think it's it's more true than Hammerstein would like it to be. Like, yeah, all right. Like Hammerstein might be the might might have been making the decisions, but it was a de- deadlock that was sort of saying like where they need to go and what they need to do in a lot of situations. Mm. Um, 
And yeah, they're continuing to argue, and suddenly the psycho bikers, at- psycho bikers attack! Oh man, time for some like heavy metal hotties to roll through, and I guess maybe their android friends. Yeah, they're real cool. There's at least one sweet biker chick hanging off on the back of one of them. Mm-hmm. It's real nice. They do seem tough, though, but as the ABC warriors stuck get stuck in, they realize that they're androids and thus no match. Um, this, by the way, does does kind of feel like sort of a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cartoon kind of situation <laughs> where you establish most of the bad guys as robots very early on, so they're sort of lower calorie when you start sure. vicious, viciously, graphically murdering them. You know? They also served as like a like the remember who these guys are sort of thing. It's like Joe Pineapples, he's a oh, cold yeah. uh, clinical killer, and Black Blood, he's a just a weird murder one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gives us a chance, basically, yeah, to kind of meet the bots in their native environment. Um, yeah, like you said, they've sort of rebranded. I think Joe Pineapples as the agile ultimate assassin. Yeah. Uh, like the, he's a little different than the old N and V um original like original recipe Joe Pineapples, mm-hmm. just because that guy's main weapon was a bazooka, which is not what we sort of think of as a main sniper kind of situation. Right. But that's been something we've been evolving towards for a little while now. Oh I think sure. When they were when they were gathering the team back in Nemesis, he also was had, had sniper abilities, and he certainly did shoot Black Blood's heart out to uh, take him. We learn Black Blood is a treacherous traitor or a, a treacherous sadist with a grudge against Joe Pineapples, but he's had a lot of the most evil parts of his personality burned <laughs> out of his brain. The most evil parts. That's right. Still, you know, medium evil. Um, Mongrel is a mighty Hulk fighting to be reunited with his lost human love, Lara, in heaven because he's got to be a good guy to make it there to meet to see her. Uh, Mechquake is a dumb murder machine obsessed with big jobs. And Rojas is not really a warrior, but a friendly sewer droid, and he rushes to save the human biker chick from Mechquake's tender embraces, but she Ugh. spits in his face, and he's like, you're lucky I'm into that sort of thing. Which... <laughs> Finally, we get Hammerstein and some extra background and stuff here for Hammerstein. I feel like we, we haven't heard this before, mm. but that he's programmed to love like a nationalist propaganda, like anthems and medals and stuff. He obeys orders and fights for justice and literally believes that whoever he's fighting for is God is on his side, which yep. honestly, especially from Pat Mills, makes Hammerstein seem like a bit of a chump. Yeah. But- which is something I think we'll be exploring, honestly, quite a bit as the ABC Warriors roll on. But whatever. Poor For Hammerstein. now, the ABC Warriors are back. Spread the word. So awesome. So excited. Love these guys, man. It's real great. Oh, man. For me, it's it's what's coming up next that makes me so fucking happy. I love this whole arc that they're going through right now. Yeah. As the warriors fight, a mysterious hooded figure in a sweet ski motorcycle observes them. It's obviously Deadlock Fox. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. I mean, so very obviously Deadlock. <laughs> he judges the warriors as they fight, judges them all as mundane squares, though he both envies and despises Hammerstein's confidence and total ignorance of the higher realm. He mm. actually generally just despises them all. Mongrel's endless, mindless violence, Joe Pineapples, who's all style and no depth, and Black Blood, who's had the dark corners of his mind burns out. He Although natu- he got the closest. Yeah. He naturally hates both Mechquick and Rojaws as those two fight over that human lady. 
Uh, Black Blood joins in, getting kind of creepy about it, when Hammerstein arrives, and this lady seems to know him. Craig? Craig? Oh, my God. I just loved that name she gave him. Totally. I asked if there was something, like this was a reference to something um, on the uh, on the uh, uh, 2080 Facebook group, or uh, 19, 1977 to 2080 Facebook group. And, mm. they, and we kind of discussed about how this might be a reference to Aussie soap star Craig McLaughlin, who, okay. or Lachlan, who was big at this time, like Australian soap operas, big, weird um, English uh, subculture kind of thing going on here. Okay. Um, and we're saying that from what we learn about Terry, it might or of this of this lady, it might just be that like she was raised on reruns of ancient TV shows and stuff like that. That's so fair. The name kind of comes to her because it's just sort of a, a leading man name, which is very much how she uh, pictures Hammerstein. And keep in mind, while well, this woman who has now suddenly fallen in love with Hammerstein is yeah. both incredibly attractive, she is also fucking ripped. Like this woman Super is yoked. Ripped, yeah. She, she she jumps all over Hammerstein, caressing his face and metal body. Uh, Deadlock wonders if he can work with these fools, but then think maybe the, then thinks maybe the fact that they're fools will make it a little easier. He rides off as the warriors spot him, and we learn that this woman's name is Terry, and Craig is the father of her baby. What? <laughs> the bots say that's impossible, but we quickly learn that Terry is part of some kind of crazy robo god religion led by the keepers of the Black Hole Gateway, the mechanics, and basically thinks that everybody is a machine, but only the best ones are machines made of metal. And so I guess she was artificially inseminated or something like that. Who I knows? test you, baby. Yeah. But what Hammerstein, um, Hammerstein's what she always imagined the father would look like. So, you know, whatever. Maybe this sexy, insane lady can help them navigate the tunnels and avoid the then, psycho sure, bikers. hey, why not? Let's give it a shot. Meanwhile, Joe has found a calling card left by a mysterious biker. It's a tarot card, the Hierophant, meaning tradition, marriage, or a teacher. And here it means deadlock. I told you. (laughs) I can't believe how right you were. I would never have guessed this. Yeah, me and everybody else that instantly saw this. It's fine. Um, It's on the cover of the comic for this issue of the comic, for God's sake. (laughs) Um, Real subtlety. Yeah, so next up, Terry and Hammerstein are on the lover's card with the Road Jaws Cupid. And I would, in fact, like a uh, Bisley ABC Warriors deck of tarot cards. Right. I mean, it could be any 2080, you guys, honestly, but this style yeah. is really fun. It's super uh, cute. Yeah. Dead, Deadlock looks on as the team rides out on Mechquake, and things get very dark as they head through the tunnels. Like, it's very mm. much just these characters standing out in pitch black backgrounds. Um, in the darkness, the robots discuss whether Terry's directions can be trusted as she moons over Craig, a.k.a. Hammerstein. <laughs> it's a big deal, I guess, that she, he's a real robot, not a low-cast cl- low human or medium-cast android. He's um, all steel. She thinks that Craig, um, that because Craig's really awesome, it means he'll be spared when the droids that are about to ambush them kill the rest of the warriors. Oh, my God. The biker bots attack again, and we see some very metal zoic looking chainsaw mouths. Yeah. Coming, which I appreciate the reference, I think. Um, Hammerstein's super shocked by her betrayal. He grabs her by the feet and tosses her out of Megquake. Get out! I mean, yeah, dude. Rough, <laughs> you know. And then she's flying by. I'll it's stop crazy. them. I'll talk to them. Yeah. Uh, battle is met. 
with uh, the warriors fighting away. Black Blood's leg gets torn off very early as Terry runs to the mechanic leader, um, pleading for the ABC Warriors case as the robot holds her very cute baby Wayne, complete with stuffed stuffed dog and stuff. Let me tell you, uh, another off-screen death that's just fucking horrific. Yeah, a lot of sons die in this episode, man. We're sort of like... Two for two, Pat Mills killing somebody's son here. We are running um, out of babies. Yeah. As uh, Terry Terry pleads, the mechanic thinks that she's showing a bit too much spirit. It's better off both her and her junior robot are recycled and kills the child right in front of Terry. I mean, man, bad idea. Yeah, this prog ends with her screaming face and the smoking, grinning face of the mechanic. Prog 558, the warriors move to the front of the prog where they'll stay for quite a while as Terry cradles Wayne's stuffed dog and the mechanic goes to kill Terry, but she realizes that it's them who are inefficient. Fuck she yeah. in, grabs a gun, and blows off that thing's torso. Really explosive, gooey laser guts. It's, it's great. It's good. Yeah, Terry rises with a new focus for revenge with molten tears of rage streaming down her face. We kind of get a good, like, Terry look here. We learn that she's been working out to make her body hard like steel, and she's just ripped to shit. It's awesome. She just, like, learned to just not flinch from pain and just try to be as robot as possible. It's pretty wicked. It's pretty good, man. She, uh, she kicks the shit out of some androids, decapitating it with her bare hands. But when the mechanic gets the drop on her, things look bad until she's saved by Hammerstein. Oh, yeah, dude. Then she in turn saves him by warning her about a sneaky android coming up behind him. And the balance is square, maybe. Soon after the battle ends, um, Hammerstein and Terry reunite with the warriors. And Black Blood, with only one leg on kind of a crutch, said they should execute Terry. But Hammerstein just says she's proved her loyalty. And hey, Deadlock man. agrees. Oh, shit, it's Deadlock! Hey, whoa, hey, whoa, hey, oh, hey, man, how's it going? He's looking real cool with a big sword and sweet cape. And I like here, Fox, that he's surrounded by these little demon guys that are, like, right? patching, up the, uh, patching up the cape. And they're, like, giving him some last-minute chrome polish and stuff It's like real that. cool. Uh, Deadlock says that Terry should be the newest ABC warrior. After all, they are all robots. After all, they're all robots who behave like humans. So why not bring in a human that behaves like a robot? And plus, you know, Rojas just isn't really ABC warrior material, frankly. And apparently he's all right with that. (laughs) Rojas is fine with that. And they must be seven. That's the magic number. Ah, okay, of course. Terry, yeah, Terry joins the warriors as those demons run, as the little demon guys run away, stealing Black Blood's crutch as they go, which is pretty funny. Next time, it's the Day of Judgment, the last day of planet Earth. Mm Mm-hmm, okay. Very excited to get further into this ABC Warrior story. It's, it's, it's pretty long. It's going to be about 20 progs or so. Fuck yes. Um, next time, we'll see the other big artist that's working on this story, uh, SMS, who I'm also really excited about. There's some really like top-flight art on, this, uh, on these stories. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's real good times. And speaking of uh, interesting new stories, Fox, or I guess interesting returning stories, mm-hmm. we go to Thrill 5 Zenith. Oh, man. Good yeah. good, uh, good reintroduction. Yeah, pop in, pop out here. Script robot Grant Morrison, art robot Steve Yole, letter robot Mark King. 
It's December 17th, 1945, or 44, I should say, three days before they drop the bomb on Berlin. A radio plays Mr. Wu's A Superhuman Now, which is to the tune of a George Formby's highly questionable song, Mr. Wu's A Window Cleaner Now. Ugh. Which, ooh, ooh, it's rough. Um... <laughs> Suddenly the wa- the wall crashes open. It's both Kool-Aid. It's a Maxi Man, not Kool-Aid Man. Um, <gasps> it looks like he's trying to recover some su- survivors from a bombing, but sees it's just the radio that he heard, and he seems pretty depressed about it. Though the Ooh. soldiers are just kind of going about their business. Um, there's a weird point here where a soldier says, like, hey, let's go home. Maxi Man says, home's a thousand miles away. And the soldier's like, yeah, man, you know, I'm just talking about, like, our base. Like, you know, you don't got to be all weird about it. Like, whatever. And Maxi Man's like, yeah, I'm deep. But whatever. Uh, <laughs> at the same time, a man named, uh, a science dude named Payne is reading the book uh, Schrod- Sh- uh, Schrodinger's What is Life? which is this book that's about mostly life and mutation. It's often credited as an early version of how the storage of informa- of a g- genetic information might work. Interesting. Yeah, like it, like the uh, the guys who who in, who discovered the the DNA double helix sort of said like yeah, Schrodinger sort of put us on the trail basically. Hmm. Um, but anyway, this pain guy's interrupted by another science dude called Thatchel, who has come to tell him that the Yanks have successfully tested an atomic bomb and they're gonna drop it on Berlin. And now the government's sending Maxi Man in to see if he'll survive the blast. Jesus. The scientists are pissed because they haven't had a chance to finish testing Maxi Man yet. And like, oh, when, and what'll he think, you know? Meanwhile, back at base, Maxi Man is talking to a nurse named Joyce. He's still a little worried that everybody's who's been pulled out of Berlin, except for him, but is mostly okay with it. He's, he'd rather be alone because he thinks the other soldiers assume he's just kind of playing soldier instead of like, you know, actually being a real, like right. risking his life like they are. He's got some superhero uh, imposter syndrome going on here, basically. Um, but yeah, he uh, as he's talking, he finds some ta- some tank shrapnel on the ground and promises to give it to uh, Joyce's brother someday. And then talks about this dream he had, which are basically the events of Prague 535. <laughs> um, though maybe something more also. He just talks about standing near a church, hearing the loud footsteps of a god, and then a terrible bright light shining out. Joyce tells him to take care. She doesn't want to see his name on a mo- on a war memorial, and Oops. he assures her that if he dies, he'll probably get his own memorial. And he did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. Next time, pain. Neat little reintroduction, and it's yeah. good to kind of get to know him a little bit better. Uh, I d- seems yeah, a I d- lot more humble than you know, son. Right. Yeah, I I do think it's it's nice to kind of meet Maxi Man a little bit just because they talk about him so much, just to kind of learn about this character that's more than like literally all we knew about him before was um that like a newsreel and then him getting killed by Master Man. So yeah, like I should see him in a more peaceful situation is nice for sure. I think so too. Yeah, and uh, let's just close things out now, Fox, with Thrill Six. Just two quick one, two quick Bellardinelli ones here, Fox. Yep. First one, bedtime story. Script about Win Wyatch, uh, Wiacek as a android. Art about Massimo Bellardinelli letting about uh, John Aldrich. A little two pager. I don't like this one very much, just because no. it came right after the death of Wayne in ABC Warriors, right. which would have been such a great way to end the prog as opposed to this story. Um, like if, if it had been before ABC Warriors or something, actually, that that would have been even better than just what we have now. Mm. 
Um, instead, we get two business dudes at the uh, slumber mer- uh, the slumber mech company trying to get their new mega bed to market, but the bed keeps killing bed testers. They mm-hmm. see some random passerby and have one of the beds installed in his house so that if he dies, there won't be blowback. Um, the next morning, the tester is still alive, so they go to market. But six days later, they uh, talk to that guy and learn that he has a massive sleepwalking problem. He's barely spent five minutes in the bed since <laughs> he got it, as the city fills with the sound of people being killed by the mega bed. Wow, so great. Probably shouldn't have just sold this bed. Now they're probably sued to shit. As a QA tester, I find this comic viscerally offensive. Right. Anyway, um, final one, story called A Good Thing. Script oh, about no, P- wait. It's a bed, not a feature. Son of a bitch. They're all features. <laughs> um, fucking, yeah, as designed. You know, we're yeah, looking oh, for God. some deaths. So angry. Anyway, uh, script sure. robot P. Reed, art robot Massimo Bellinelli, letting robot John Aldrich. One pager. Beauti- it's perfect. Yeah. This a is mutant- the perfect future shock. Absolutely. A mutant wanders a bombed-out hellscape, reflecting on the, that the nuclear apocalypse is not that bad a thing. All the leaders, politician, and rich rush to their bunkers to escape it, leaving the, the rest of the world to die. It's, so it's pretty good. You know, you just stagger through the wasteland, which is kind of boring. But the hours are pretty good, and there are tea breaks, which is solid, because the rich guys, man, they're dumb. Why <laughs> would we destroy the Earth on their say-so, when instead we could just wait till they're in their armored redoubts? And uh, with limited food supplies and stuff, they just kind of, like, barricade the door so they can't escape. And, uh, hey, look, we're just wearing some fucking costumes anyway, because actually the world didn't end. Uh, we're all good here. We tricked just them. Just in there. Yeah, it's yeah, let's smart. Do some land- now, now this mutant's taking off his mutant makeup and getting into landscape gardening in a new free world. <laughs> good times. It's great. It's a good, perfect future shock. Yeah, good time. Just in and out. Just a little thing to, to think about. And speaking of things we're thinking about, Fox. Oh, man. I must know for January 1988, a new year, a new logo, a new Space Spinner 2000. What were your top and bottom thrills? Conrad, how could I possibly decide? How could I possibly decide this month? There are some uh, good I, ones for sure. I, I mean, I... It's hard for me to... Okay, so let's, like, for bottom... No, I, I have to go top first because I need time for bottom. I can't just say future shots. <laughs> I, like, there's, only, there's only three pages of future shots I know. Total. I it's, can't, not, it's not really it, a valid category this time. Exactly. It's not fair. It's not fair to to whatever. God damn it. Yeah. Top is... is it's near impossible, right? Because even if I were to say something like Judge Dredd, where it's pretty fucking good. I thought, you know what? Here's what I'll say. I know it's not Judge Dredd. I know mm. it's not going to be bad company, right? Like a lot of things happen in both of those uh, books, but it's really just about it getting started. Although Kano's kills were pretty fucking rough, especially with that fairy. Um, yeah. And so really what we're looking at here is uh, like the real show stealer, in my opinion, which is Nemesis and ABC Warriors. So mm. Nemesis, I feel like uh, I'm kind of giving these guys neck and neck just because ABC Warriors out the gate starts so violent and so awesome and turns so funny so quickly. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, like it, it still has that seriousness, but it's not like we're reading fucking Nemesis, you know? Yeah. 
but it's not the most ridiculous thing. It's like just a fucking comic book. That yeah. said, I, I give the nod also to Nemesis. These are both in the top category for me, and they're kind of one storyline, so I feel like I could swing it this time. All right, that top thrill, Pat Mills Power Hour. Awesome. Yeah, because, you know, we killed a child with a fucking chainsaw sword. Yeah, buddy. Um, so that's kind of how I feel about it. It's mixed and it's fucking difficult. Um, and in terms of bottom, man, uh, I, I mean, it's gotta be either Bad Company or Judge Dredd, both of which I just, I, it feels dishonorable putting either of them there. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I will put, and this may be sacrilegious, I feel like it will be, but it's, it's only because of, of like not a ton happening in terms of, I'm, all right, I'm stumbling over my words. I'm excited for Super Surf 10. Mm-hmm. It hasn't happened yet. I know it's about to happen. Everything's building towards that moment, and I'm ready for the release of that. Um, and so I'm putting it on Dr- Judge Dredd, or you know what? I'll even say Judge Dredd and... Oh, wow. And fucking um, uh, bad, company bad Company this time. Only because they are not the worst... But if I'm going to put two at the top, I will also balance myself and put two at the bottom. <laughs> Nothing in this month was bad, except for Future Shocks. Nothing in this month yeah. was bad. It was all perfect. So it's hard for me to say that, but I abide by the rules, and I even make some on, up on my own on the fly. And Always. so, Conrad, times. I have to ask you, sir... Mm. How could you even possibly tell me your top and bottom thrills? Because that was pulling teeth for me. Oh, man. I, I agree. This is a strong, strong month. Just um, ABC Warriors out of the gates, really great. And then combining that, like like just for the Pat Mills stuff, like uh, ABC Warriors is great out the gate. This end of, mm. of Nemesis is amazing. Like, <sighs> um, I, honestly, like there's been times where I haven't read this one very, very closely, and so really kind of getting into reading the text of uh, of the story to go with Hinklinton's art and really kind of mm-hmm. paying really close attention to it, it like that those times, um, you know, as Torquemada's going after Thoth and, Nemes- and Nemesis is coming after him and stuff, um, were really affecting for me, and I really and and, and, and I those were really great. Like I really like felt a sense of loss when God strongly agree when Thoth was killed. Um, for me, uh, oh yeah. Also, I I, I want to say I, I also really agree with you that while Nemesis is super heavy, I do like the other uh, moments of levity in ABC Warriors. You know, it's not like a funny comic, but it is a it is lighter, and there are these little things in it. Whether it's Terry calling Hammerstein Craig, yeah, st- like any any Rojas stuff. Like you can't really be serious when when Rojas is there, just because he's a, such a comic relief character. Mm-hmm. Um, the little stuff with the demons, with with, with Deadlock and things like that, um, all kind of combine to make these story like to keep these stories light to go with the awesome like crazy art and things like that. Absolutely. So I'm gonna say for my top fox, Oof. it's it's got to be Nemesis. I think. Um, mm. just I mean, it's hard and it's true. 
it's hard. Just the end of the two Torquemadas and then going into Purity's story are really great. And honestly, this is me sort of playing the field where I'm like, ah, oh, like I'm sure I'll be able to find some time to give ABC <laughs> Warriors some some tops sure. as we go forward. Whereas this the whereas this climax of the two Torquemadas is is such an important story. I want to like uh, give some give some laurels to I guess. For my bottom, um, for me, it's an easier choice because I'm going to say it's Badco. Okay. Um, like, Badco's very much a B-plus to a bunch of A stories mm-hmm. this this month, I think. Um, like, I really love both... Um, both the chopper and the and and the Judda stuff in in, uh, in Judge Dredd, it's so like, that stuff, all real good. Just like the uh, the encounter with the robot cook and stuff, that's all really great. The Judda return, I love whenever Brent McCarthy just takes over and is like, "We're doing this now," and it's always such so so ridiculous. Um, and so I, I got to stick with that. Um, and then Nemesis and ABC Warriors are, are so awesome that for me, um, um, but. Bad Company, while still good, and I'm very much looking forward to the Cruel Heart. Um, like I said, I, I was kind of dis- I was sort of um, not, like I guess dissatisfied with Tommy's death. Like I definitely yeah. didn't feel bad about it, but the fact that I'm kind of like, oh yeah, it seemed like it was time for him to die. I, that's not a good feeling that I want to <laughs> have. I guess like I'd rather feel bad. Like in compa- in comparison to the other deaths that we had this prog, oh yeah, like like. Tommy's was the like I feel like I I cared more about Kano's like like fairy friend uh, that we didn't know anything about than Tommy's death certainly I felt less for both of them than I did for uh, Thoth and uh, and and even Wayne that we only knew for one prog really like a very just, true statement Bisley did such a crazy job of making Wayne incre- like giant eyes cute and stuff that mm. like you know it still felt bad and terry's reaction to it also was really great um so yeah so bad company on the bottom nemesis on the top but damn closely followed by 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 abc warriors and uh and a dread very excited for this period of the uh of of the prog for sure um and with that fox And everybody, I hope you enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Titch, or the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Um, or in the 2080 forums, or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. And we're on a lot of these um, 2080 Facebook groups as well. Like, if there's one that you don't see me on, feel free to add me. I'm happy to be on there and just spam you guys with my uh, stuff. <laughs> I'm happy to do it. Uh, anyway, on Twitter, we're at Space Spinner 2K. Everything else, Space Spinner 2000, we should be there. And then come back next time. As we learn the history of Zenith, Dredd Ooh. confronts the Judda, Hammerstein remembers his past, and Johnny Alpha and Durham Red are out for adventure. Fuck yes, yes! And then Purity, uh, Purity Brown finds love with Torquemada. Uh, what? Yeah, until then, I'm Connor at East Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Sunday, Sunday.